Hello, and welcome to the Spirit World Center podcast. This is another episode of Spirits and Seekers, and today I'm joined by Brittany Atkins, and she is the host of Pagan's Witchy Corner and also co-host of Chaos and Shadow. She is a heathen, Norse pagan, and also a hedge witch, and she has many fascinating paranormal and spiritual experiences to talk about today. She's a very well-established practitioner. Uh, so, Brittany, I turn things over to you. Uh, can you tell us something about uh, who you are and uh, your spiritual practice and what got you to where you are now? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It has been a fun experience growing as a witch, a heathen, however you really want to kind of put it. When you get to the point of labels, it kind of gets confusing because there's so many different labels you could put on it. But I would say primarily my practice has grown from just basic witch all the way to now Norse heathen. And I do always want to say when I talk about Norse heathenism, it is not the type that is the focus type. It is the type that is all inclusive. We welcome everybody into our practice. And that's something that every time I talk about it, I always want to make sure that that message gets across because it sometimes gets a little muddled out there. So when it comes to my practice, I have been practicing for, oh gosh, you're going to make me do the math. Um, 10, almost 15 years. I want to say close to 15. So, and it really took off the last probably five years. Cause I would say that I was interested in witchcraft and then I kind of bounced out of it and then I bounced back in. And then when I really bounced back in is when I was completely, I, I'm going to say banished by the Christian church. <laughs> <laughs> and I say banished in a nice way because I think that that's essentially what they really wanted. They didn't want me attending the church anymore. And it was a really heartbreaking experience, but I'm thankful that it actually happened because I would have never fully jumped into paganism. I was always interested in it and other world religions and exploring them. But without that heartbreaking experience of it's basically getting kicked out of a church, uh, I would have never ended up on this path. And fast forward a few years, I have gotten really deep into my practice, thanks to the two podcasts, Chaos and Shadow and Pagan's Witchy Corner. And even before then, because it really opened up my eyes to so many amazing voices in the occult and paranormal communities and the witchcraft communities and made my practice just really grow very deep. And Norse paganism was not something I was really interested in up until about 2020. And I don't even know when it happened. I can't really explain what happened. I'd always been a practitioner of Loki, but it was just one of those things that they kind of sat me down one day, like my deities in my meditation were like, you're a Norse pagan and you need to follow the Norse pagan path. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you are. You need to follow this path. And fast forward a few years later, I'm heavily ingrained in it. It is a way of life in our household. And it's much more than just a spiritual practice. It truly is a way of life because we incorporate it in all aspects of everything that we do from our homestead all the way to our spiritual practices. I hope that answered the question. I can kind of ramble a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned working with Loki. Uh, Loki is a very, very interesting being. 
And uh, I'm curious, how did you first come into contact with that energy, with that being? And you know, how did it make itself known to you? Loki, I think, has always been there. Even when I was growing up as a Christian, I think Loki was there in the background. I think Loki was the one that kind of kept me sane <laughs> through all of my years. And Loki has just been this being that really made himself known probably about I would say 12 years ago. And I don't even remember specifically what it was. I just remember kind of waking up one day and was like, okay, well, I follow Loki now. I don't remember what happened. My other deities, I can tell you verbatim what happened, but it was just kind of this realization of, oh, I'm a follower of Loki. And I've been a follower of Loki ever since. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, I haven't really followed his wife Sigyn until probably the last like month or so. And Sigan never really came into my practice. And you'd think that they would uh, because, you know, they're obviously the wife of Loki, but they didn't. And so it was very interesting because when I started researching more about Loki, because I wanted to see where the myth really separated from, I guess you could say modern culture, because we have watered down so many of the myths of Loki and made Loki this demon and this devil and this dark entity and this chaotic thing that shouldn't be worshipped or practiced. And then I kind of was like, well, you're not dark and you're not wicked and you've never been that way to me. Now, are you playful? Yes, but you've never been evil or even mean to me in any way. And Loki's kind of been this interesting, like almost parent figure in a way for me, because I was dealing with a lot of family issues. And at one point in time, I was having some severe family issues to the point that I didn't know if I was ever going to talk to my parents again or anything like that. So Loki just kind of came in and was like, it's okay. I'm here. You don't need to worry about this. It will be okay. And I've been great as long as Loki's always been there. And even on the bad days, you know, Loki's there because I can just tell. And you, there's weird signs that always come with Loki. So <laughs> those are always a fun experience when you're just like, oh, you sent me that. Thank you. I don't know how I feel about that, but thank you. I know that's from you because you're the only one that would do that. <laughs> so yes, Loki is a definitely amazing deity to work with. And if you're worried about working with Loki, don't. And I've only ever come across one person that said that Loki hurt them and betrayed them. And the truth be told is, I don't believe truly that they were working with Loki. I think they were working with something masquerading as Loki because Loki is not harmful in any way, at least in my practice, he never has been. So if you're worried about it, learn the lore and you'll see that Loki's actually a pretty wonderful deity to work with. I think um, in my own working with Loki, what I found is that he is very much the trickster and our society doesn't quite know what to do with that archetype mm -hmm. in that, you know, we look at the trickster and we think, oh, it's evil, right? And in fact, no, it's, it's engaging in a very important role within a, within a system. And, you know, when you think of uh, the trickster, it is this being who, you know, it's like a, a sacred clown or it's a, uh, you know, it's the briar rabbit um, archetype, which it 
it points out the foibles of, of established power structures and such, but it also, um, it also in, in, inserts chaos, I find, in a way in which some sort of realization can come out of the system. Uh, you know, so you, you even look at, let's say, the story of Ragnarok, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Loki's role within that. And to me, when I look at Ragnarok, I, I see this understanding of existence is first off cyclical, right? That's mm-hmm. not this end of time. It's rather about existence and the cyclical pattern of birth and rebirth. And so from, at least for myself, I find when you look at Loki's role within Ragnarok, uh, basically, you know, without having to go into the entire mythology here, uh, right? Loki basically does something that leads to the end of time <laughs> and the end of the gods <laughs> and the destruction of earth and the destruction of basically most of the cosmos. But then there's a rebirth after where there's a new earth and there's, there's still hope and there's a few humans left and a few gods left. And what I find in that story is that it is this, you know, you have the established hierarchy, you have the established uh, existence as it is, right? And everything is stable and, you know, everything's great. And then you have this insertion of chaos, this insertion of disorder. And then suddenly there has to be this reaction, this change, right? And then that can destroy the old order and bring about something new. And I look at that within human life as what that trickster archetype does, which is that, you know, everything is going along fine and you're kind of, you know, you're stable, you know, you're, you're doing your thing, but when you're stable, there's no spiritual growth. And sometimes that chaos has to be inserted into your life. And suddenly then it gives you the opportunity to overcome it or to prove yourself or to learn something or to learn something about your own shadow. And eventually then and that, after a time that that leads you to the next you know uh level mm-hmm. and and then suddenly things are stable again until the next chaos is inserted and then there's this you know the syncopated progress where you know everything is great and then it's like for a month or for a year it's everything's fine and then chaos and then there's that next that next state of affairs that is once again level and, and you know i find this is how spiritual progress happens mm-hmm. so anyways that uh, that is kind of my take on loki by and, and tricksters themselves but i'd be very curious you know how do you like does that resonate with you at all or yes. how do you find yeah go ahead yes absolutely it does the interesting thing about working with loki is loki has been a huge part of my growth not only in a physical perspective, but also a spiritual perspective, because I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis uh, about 13 so years ago. Um, So right in the middle of the start of my witchcraft practice and multiple sclerosis, for those who don't know, it is literally a life of nothing but chaos. You have no idea if you're going to wake up in the morning and if your legs are going to hold you up or if you'll be able to see or if you'll be able to hear or if you're going to feel good or if you're going to be in massive amounts of pain, you really have no idea what it's going to look like. And so that was kind of one of the things that, you know, working with Loki that I don't like to call myself a chaos witch, but I do practice a lot of chaos magic because life is 100% unpredictable. To be human is unpredictable. 
you have no idea what's going to go wrong in this meat sack that we live in on a daily basis. And so to realize that that trickster energy is inherently in us just as much as it is in a trickster deity like Loki is to be human and to accept that we are also the trickster and the trickster is not only just around us, but it's within us. And our bodies can trick us at any moment. And that's the one thing that people don't realize. They're like, oh, I don't want to work with this deity because, oh, my life is going to be turned upside down. Your life might be turned upside down for five minutes, but the next five years will be spectacular because of those five minutes. And you need that trickster energy to turn it upside down just for that five minute marker. And yeah, it's going to suck for that five minutes and you're going to hate it and you're going to curse and you're going to be so upset and you're going to be like, why did I let you do this to me? Or why are you doing this to me? Or why have the gods forsaken me of all things? And ultimately it's not that it's because they have to move something that you're holding so tightly onto that you think is important. That's not actually important. They have to kick it out of the way and it's going to be painful because you're holding onto it. And that's the beauty of working with Loki. Loki will be like, okay, we're going to take this. We're going to take this. And Loki will give you warnings before he does it. He always gives me a warning that something is about to change. We've got to insert a little chaos. It's going to be fine. Let go. Let go. Okay. I have to rip it apart because you're not letting go. And that's Loki to a T. Loki is gentle to a point until you realize that you're not letting go. And then he's like, no, that's mine. Give it back. (laughs) And then ensues the chaos. But the fun thing is I have learned working with Loki that chaos is going to be happening no matter what we do. And we can't stop the chaos that comes in our world. We can't stop the weather patterns that end up with chaos, or we can't stop the fact that we might lose our jobs tomorrow or might get diagnosed with a terrible disease or something happens. We can't stop the chaos, but we can learn to live within it. And that's what Loki does. Loki teaches you that. I absolutely love that. Absolutely. And it's such a a hard lesson because if you have never worked with that chaos before, and if you're Mm -hmm. hanging on, right, if you have that attachment to the way things are right now, it is terrifying to to think, okay, this chaos is going to be inserted and I'm going to have to let go of what was and, you know, something new and scary is going to come around, right? Or at least scary in the sense of, I don't know what it's going to be, but if you can open yourself up to that. It allows for so much, you know, spiritual growth and potential. That's absolutely. Uh, wow. And um, so what's curious now, and, and we were talking about this before we, uh, we came on the air is that you actually work with a, uh, another um, uh, God quite closely and that being is is thor right and uh, i was commenting earlier that it's quite interesting working with those two uh energies right i mean on one hand you have you have a being who i mean thor he's he's the one who would never tell a lie right i mean thor is just uh um thor is incredibly valiant and and you know that energy of uh just always being bound by his word right and then you have loki who's like you know will always find some wiggle room let's say in a, in a contract and when it t- comes to the uh uh when it comes to the the uh, uh the myths right and so mm-hmm. very different energies there so how do you find how do you find that plays out in your life working with both of them working with both of them is very interesting um on a day-to-day kind of thing um thor is kind of 
a almost a backseater like that that's kind of the best way to put him like he's not always 100% present but he's always there if that makes sense he will be there if I need him and the funny story about when uh Thor came into my practice is I had no intentions of working with Thor Thor was not a deity that fit into my practice in any way that I could ever even begin to see him And my husband works primarily with Thor. And so we have Loki that's in our household because of my uh, practice. And then we have Thor because of my husband's practice. And they would kind of be a little bit like oil and water at times. But then at one point in time, Thor kind of came in to one of my meditations and was like, hey, we should do some work together. And I'm like, "Uh, no, you're a little too fluffy for me, but thanks. I'm not really into this. Um, I made the mistake of calling Thor fluffy and he didn't really take offense to it. He took it as a personal challenge. (laughs) And so he's like, oh, I'm fluffy, huh? Okay. All right. Well, let's play this out, shall we? And proceeded to have, we were supposed to have thunderstorms that day anyway, but they weren't supposed to be bad. They were just supposed to be normal Tennessee thunderstorms. And they got pretty violent we had a couple tornadoes that touched down but interestingly enough the tornado path looked like it was going to cross right over my house on the map and I'm like oh crap I'm completely screwed in this moment and then the tornado went around my area and it was thunderbolt after thunderbolt lightning strike and all these terrible things and such loud thunder my poor dogs who were terrified of thunder were like oh my god the world is ending And in the middle of this storm, I'm kind of freaking out because of the tornadoes and tornadoes are frightening for anybody who doesn't live in the South. They are very unpredictable and very scary. And about halfway through this storm, I just kind of, you know, took a moment. I was like, I've got to calm down. I'm going to have a panic attack if I don't chill out and the dogs are having one and I have to deal with them. I can't do this. And I just kind of get this whisper and presence of Thor and, you know, your mind's eye however you would like to visualize that and he's like so am I fluffy now the storm isn't here because I'm fluffy the storm is here to show you that life is chaos and that I can be the one that can help you calm the chaos in the middle of the storm and I'm like oh shit Um, and it was such a powerful moment that I'm like okay um you're no longer fluffy and I'll make some room on the altar for you. Welcome to the team, I guess. (laughs) And Thor was there ever since. And Thor is the one that I always call to when I am having too much chaos and I feel very overwhelmed. And he's the one that kind of can create that, you know, eye of the storm for me and say, it's okay. You're going to be fine. You're not in any danger it's okay I've got you and he's kind of that big protector that's in my you know field all my deities are protective but he's the one that I called most for protection he's the one that I ask for them to and he's also the one I also call for justice and uh him and uh Hecate are my two big justice ones but if I need something to really play out with that, that is Thor is my one that I call for protection and justice. And he's always there. 
And, you know, sometimes we will have some moments and him and Loki will kind of, I don't want to say scuffle with each other, but they will kind of get a little bantery with each other at times. And it's kind of like, okay, guys, I work with both of you. Just shut it down. Take it somewhere else if you're going to do that, but I don't want to deal with it. And they're very, very good about listening to that. And they know that if I'm in the middle of working, they can't come in at odds with each other and they will help me with the working. And then they will go off and scuffle with each other somewhere else. (laughs) And I just realized that we're recording this on a Thursday. So hi, Thor. Hi, Thor. Um, I suppose, um, you know, working with the two of them, uh, one of the one of the um, common misconceptions that maybe comes up when you're explaining your practice is that they are not siblings, right? No. <laughs> Thanks, they're, Marvel. They're really not. And it's funny because, you know, when you talk about like Thor and Odin and Loki, and they're just like, oh, okay, well, Thor's, you know, Loki's brother. No, 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 no. Loki is Odin's blood brother. That's the the thing that you need to remember that they are the besties, not Mm -hmm. Thor and Loki. (laughs) Thor and Loki are little, very much like oil and water because they are literally two sides of the coin. Loki is very much that playful and almost the energy that will lie and that will tell you all of the things that don't really need to happen. Whereas Thor is like, no, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is how it's going to be very matter of a fact. And so they're very different from each other. And because they're so different, they don't always get along great. They will work together when they have to for, you know, the human they're working with. But ultimately, if you had to sit them in a room together, they probably either glare each other or they try to kill each other when you too. <laughs> Absolutely. And and that's what, of course, what you find within the myths, right, is that they mm-hmm. are interacting and, you know, they are working together a lot of the time, right? They, yeah. they're not um, at constant odds. However, at the same time, there is that, that personality conflict between them that exactly, you know, at the, you know, just look at Ragnarok, right? So you, you, and it's very much, you know, I find one of the interesting things about the Norse gods there is that's very much like, humans you know yes. we are we have very complex social relationships with each other <laughs> and and that was reflected in and you know in the in the norse mythology as well mm-hmm. um you were telling me earlier that you uh, you work with a number of other um gods and goddesses quite closely um in fact you you were mentioning that you've uh, begun to work with hell can you tell us uh, something about that and and for yeah. the listeners um can you tell us uh, who hell is as, as she's uh, i suppose she's probably not one of the most well-known uh, norse mm-hmm. deities when it comes to most uh, people's knowledge of it yes hell is the one of the daughters of loki um loki has several children and uh hell is the child of i'm gonna butcher her mama's name i always do agraboda i think uh i am bad with my norse names y'all so uh please don't hold it against me but and loki and uh she is half corpse and half human i think or half a god of some sort uh giantess i think is what it is i think it's giantess and half corpse and so she ends up being this kind of terrifying looking entity because half her face looks normal and the other half looks dead 
or grotesque. Um, in, there's times when uh, I have gone into a meditation to work with hell and she will kind of come across as almost like a decaying corpse so there's like still some flesh on one side that's not supposed to be there and it's gross and icky looking and the other side is very pristine and gorgeous and made up and beautiful and she is the the god of helheim and i i don't i use god loosely because she's not really like part of the main asir but she is definitely one of the ones she runs helheim and so you hear a lot about her in some of the myths, especially the myth about Baldur and Baldur dying and Loki being um, the one who sort of kills Baldur, but sort of doesn't kill Baldur. He, he had a hand in it. Um, and, you know, she is very understanding, but she is also extremely terrifying because I just started working with her. And so when she comes across, she comes across as almost very dark and shadow-like. When, you know, she, because I, when I see her, she doesn't always step like into the light in my mind's eye. She steps out of the corner and sometimes I'll see her in the corner and I have to get used to that because of the fact that she's not always going to come forward because she's not always going to be needed. And that's one of the things that I really had to get used to with her that whereas Loki is always front and center and present because he likes to be the center of attention. Thor will be there, but he's kind of in the background, but he he's visible. Um, Hecate is also somebody that's a little more front and center. And the Morgan is a little bit more like hell and will kind of be off to the side. And Freya, who is also a recent one um, within the last like six months, she is also fairly front and center, but she's about the same like distance away from in the mind's eye as Thor would be. But hell is very like corner of the eye in the shadows doesn't step forward unless there's something that needs to be done and if I need to do some sort of shadow work or I'm working through something and she has an opinion about it or wants me to do something or needs a task done then she steps forward and she doesn't do it softly it's I'm in your face now and you're going to talk to me and it's like oh hi okay and she's very hard to get used to <laughs> but she's also taught me so much and has given me this sense of strength that a lot of the other deities I think were trying to teach me but you know growing up in America you get to that point where you're just like no I don't have that self-confidence and hell's like yes you do and we're gonna work on that right now so she has been amazing for that kind of stuff but she is definitely not for the faint of heart so if you're gonna be working with hell be prepared she's going to scare the crap out of you and she's going to also probably drag you literally through hell um trying to get you to work through what you need to she does not hold back she doesn't have time to hold back as when she told once told me uh she reminds me a lot of the morgan when the morgan first came to me uh she did the same thing but now the morgan has gotten very nice with me and very comfortable with me and I'm very used to her energy whereas now she's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat to let hell kind of take over and work through some of the things that the Morgan just wasn't apparently getting through so it's been a very interesting process but I'm very much enjoying working with her despite the fact that she scares me a little bit <laughs>
it's always interesting when one deity kind of hands you off to another deity because it's like i don't know if i'm getting through to you so maybe hell will um <laughs> so it in my experience hell has always been a has been a being who you know you, you said the word there shadow work um mm -hmm. she will absolutely help with healing uh, spiritual healing with shadow work and really getting through a lot of the the harsh realizations of who we are and how we move on from who we are and heal from who we are have you have you found similar things yes absolutely she is one of the ones that she is working through some of what i call my deep wounds the wounds that we all like to really bury and uh it's now kind of getting to the point where you she kind of comes to me and she tells me she's like you can't do this you can't keep these buried because they're still affecting you and you need to move past them because you cannot get to the next stage of your spiritual development without moving past them. And so we need to work through this and it's going to be painful and it's going to suck, but you have to do it. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, they hurt for a reason. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, you can either come with me or we can drag you kicking and screaming, which would you prefer? And so slowly working with hell in that kind of regard, it, and a lot of the deities will do that too. It's not just, you know, the, you know, darker deities, they will drag you kicking and screaming through whatever you have to get through. If you tell them, no, I don't want to do it. They will drag you because it's for your own good. Now it's not to, to say that that's a bad thing or a mean thing. They're doing it because they know what's on the other side. It's so much better for you. And so you're going to be such a better person and a better human and so much more whole than you would be right now. So except I, I find when that happens, <laughs> I'd be curious how you think about this, but uh, I find when that happens, though, when they drag you kicking and screaming, you've usually given some form of consent, you know, like mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I'm going to impose my will on this person, but it's rather like you've been doing something that has kind of given them consent. You've been asking them for their guidance and such. And yes, there might be that, that thing where they, the kind of, they give you something that you, that they know that you can handle, but that you would never have asked for. And even if they had told you it was coming down the pipe, you would have said, no, 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 I'm not taking that. I'm not ready for that. Yes. Right. Uh, they'll know that you can handle it. They'll throw it at you. And it's usually because you have given some kind of consent. It's not like it's not imposed on your, um, on your, uh, on your personality uh, and your experience. I, uh, how do you, how do you feel about that? Like, do you find that the same experience there or do you find sometimes they do, you know, <laughs> without consent? <laughs> the interesting thing is um, I'll, I'll use what happened with the Morgan, for example, when the Morgan first was coming into my life, I for years had avoided the Morgan because I had been told by another witch that I was a part of a coven with that she was too powerful for me and I couldn't handle it. Um, by the way, if anybody ever tells you that, please don't listen to them because they're actually just gatekeeping you. Please don't that you're very much capable of working with any deity as long as you and the deity can communicate efficiently. That's the important thing. Uh, so I had to learn the lesson on my own by separating myself from this person that the Morgan was somebody I could work with, but she still scared the ever living crap out of me. And so I was kind of getting to this point where I was seeing my psychic gifts start to open up and I was seeing these things happening and I was really getting deep into tarot and I was having so much synchronistic stuff happen 
that was a little terrifying because I wasn't used to it. And it was all kind of at once. And then I got really extremely sick with the flu. And I remember that I was super, super sick with the flu. And I was having these dreams that didn't feel like dreams. Like they weren't fever induced. They were because I wasn't running fever. I was just really sick. And I remember the Morgan coming in, she introduced who she was in my dream. And she's like, I want you to work with me. And I'm like, no, you scare me. And she's like, but I can help you with what you're going through. All you have to do is take my hand and I will make it happen. And the way that she kind of pulled me into her, her wings of sorts, um, that's the kind of best way to describe it was she brought me to this abyss and you look down at this abyss and you can see the land on the other side, but there's nothing but blackness. And she says, where you need to be is over there because that's the only way that you're going to understand what you're going through. And it's the only way I can help you, but you can't get across here without me. And she said, so are you going to take my hand or are you going to turn around and walk away? If you turn around and walk away, we're not going to have this conversation again. And so I'm like, well, curiosity killed the cat. Um, Okay. And I took her hand and she walked me across this abyss as if there was a floor there, which by the way, I'm slightly afraid of heights. So this was literally the most terrifying experience. And I remember this, like I was actually doing it, but even though it was a dream and I walked across the other side and she goes, okay, and now we can work together. And it was this incredible experience. And she was not gentle with me in the beginning. And I was going through a really hard time. And I was like, I have this such deep emotional pain. And I said, I need you to help me through this. And her thing was, I'm going to make you bleed emotionally. And I'm like, what does that mean? And she goes, you'll understand soon. And I went into this meditative state and it was brutal. (laughs) Oh my God. It was probably the most brutal meditation I've ever experienced, but she led me into this pool and she stood before me and she was completely cloaked. Like I couldn't see her face. Like it was just this veil that was over her. And she grew these incredibly long fingernails and started ripping out my flesh. And I watched the blood pour out and the flesh just fall into the water and it would turn black as it hit the water. And when she got done, she said, I ripped your pain from you. You can now start to heal. And within a matter of a couple of weeks, it started to fade away and the pain was no longer as prominent. And I started to feel okay. Like, I'm not saying this, this is any like replacement for therapy at all. Please go to therapy if you need it. I was in therapy at the time, but it was one of those things that the therapy wasn't touching it. And I knew that it was deeper than just emotional. It had a spiritual connection to it and I needed help. And so the Morgan was the one who really did that with me and really helped me on that journey. She was not kind about it, but it was one of those things that if I had not said, I need help in some fashion, then she probably would have never done it. And I would say when it comes to my other deities too, there will be times where I ask for something 
And I'll be like, Hey, you know, I need healing with my MS. It's flaring up again or something like that. And they're like, okay, but you have to go through this first. And it will be this crazy healing process that is somewhere between emotional, spiritual, and physical. And I probably would have never gone down it without them asking. And they were the ones who were leading me through this. And they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And it's going to (laughs) suck. And by the time I realize what's happening, it's already, I'm already in the middle of the sucking period (laughs) and they're like, okay, but you asked for this. And I'm like, but did I? And they're like, yeah. Do you remember this conversation, this tarot reading, this pendulum moments? Do you remember that? I'm like, oh God, I did ask for this. Okay. And you end up in the middle of it, but by the time you get done, it's such an incredible experience. And I have had moments of shadow work with Hecate and moments of shadow work now with hell, where you get led down into that darkness and they're, they make you face some of the scariest things. And it's like, okay, but I didn't ask to face this. And they said, no, you didn't ask to face this, but you did ask for growth here and you can't get to the growth without going through this. And that's the scary part, but it's the amazing part as well. I love it. You know, it's something that we encounter within shamanic work so much in that the spirits and the gods, the goddesses, they love to, uh, you know, imagery that you'll encounter within a shamanic journey a lot. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure you know, this is a hedge, witch, is like being ripped apart, like just like, like, you know, like, okay, your old body, your old ego is just destroyed. And then they rebuild you, right? They rip you into a thousand pieces, dismantle you, and then they turn you into something new. And, you know, it's, it's lovely, but it's also absolutely terrifying imagery, really. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, this is, this is the transformation. This is the healing. And, you know, it can, be, it can be look dark and scary. But at the same time, sometimes you have to, to give permission, as you're saying there, you know, to, uh, and that might be given just in a meditation or in a, in a tarot card reading where you say, hey, can you help me with this? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, uh, they, they can see farther than us. And sometimes they, you know, they can lead you in that inner transformation. So you also mentioned that you work with, uh, with Hecate. And mm-hmm. so, you know, changing uh, pantheons once again here to the uh, Greek tradition, how, how have you found, how did you meet Hecate and what do you find that she's like? So Hecate is one of the deities that I was always drawn to, like, even when I first started out with witchcraft, I was like, Ooh, I want to work with her. I don't know anything about her, but I want to work with her. And the weird thing was like, she kind of was one of those deities that I was like, I want to work with you. And she's like, okay, but you have to initiate it. And I never knew how to initiate it for years because she was also one of those deities that I'm like, you also frighten me just a smidge. Like, I don't know how to approach you. I don't know what to do with you. Like, and it wasn't until recently that, and and I say recently within the last like three or four years that I kind of was like, okay, I have some serious shadow work stuff that I need to work through. And uh, I need you to guide me through the darkness because I can't have sweet dear lady morgan rip out any more of my soul because i she's ripped out enough and it hurts and i can't do it i need a gentler approach and she goes okay let's do this 
And she kind of became this almost like mother-like figure, but she also had that, I will screw up your entire life if you don't listen to everything that I say while we're down here, because there are things in the shadows that will eat you. So pay attention and listen, but I will guide you through your darkest moments and the darkest parts of you and the darkest parts of the astral. Whatever you need, I am here, but follow the torch and do what you need to do. And she kind of became this beautiful figure that was incredibly powerful and she just oozes power. And and I'm not saying none of the deities that I work with don't ooze power, they do, but she just like when you have that go out and you see that big full moon at its prime and the it's a nice summer warm night and you just feel the rays and you just they bask on your skin and you just absorb that energy that's what that's like on her weakest day <laughs> and she is just so powerful but she's so amazing at making you feel so comfortable with her and at the same time, she is definitely one of the darker ones that she will not play with you, but she will also guide you the best that you need. And so for her, she did a lot of shadow work with me. And then through the years, as I kind of worked through what I needed to with her, she kind of now has become our, I guess you could say matron deity of like our hearth and home kind of thing. She's the one that I call on to bless my garden. She is the one that I call on to bless what I'm cooking. And she has become this beautiful deity that last year I asked her when, you know, I planted my tomatoes, I said, watch over them. They kind of get kind of weird and I have a tendency to kill them. My tomatoes grew to be almost nine feet tall. And I ended up with more tomatoes than I have ever known what to do with in my entire life. And I only had like seven plants. So I was like, I don't know what happened here. And then I realized about halfway through the growing season, I'm like, I asked you to bless these. And I asked her to do the same thing with my peppers. I probably picked almost 2000 jalapeno plants or peppers off of my three plants. I don't know why they, they grew all the way until the end of October. I cannot explain what happened other than I asked her to bless them and she did. And I ended up with so much amazing produce out of a garden that I wasn't expecting to really thrive as well as it did. So I created a gardening sigil for this coming season that is infused with her energy that I'm going to paint on all my garden beds to bless them and protect them and give me even more of a bounty so I can be even more self-sustained. And I love her for the fact that she's kind of taken over this hearth role for my hearth deity that I didn't really have a need for one or have one at the time. And she's just kind of shining in it and happy with it. And she's just a wonderful matron for our household. Um, you know, the Morgan is still there. Freya is there, but Freya is definitely not the matron of the household. She is there for the shamanic work and she is there for the, uh, the work in Seder, which I'm now learning about and understanding how that works. Uh, but she's not the matron. And I felt like we needed one in the household and Hecate is like, I'll take the job. I I'm good with that. And she has been that way ever since. So blessings to Hecate for that. <laughs>
Hecate can be absolutely terrifying, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> she's that amazing guide, as you mentioned, right? The mm-hmm. traditional iconography where she has her torch. She's going to guide you through the underworld. She also has the keys to the underworld. So she's the one who can help you get down there and find the things that, you know, you might not want to find, but that you mm-hmm. have to deal with. So that, uh, that is amazing. Um, you know, I really want to get to asking about your uh, landscape as you're mm-hmm. mentioning your garden and such, but I definitely want to touch on on Freya first. Um, you mentioned uh, Freya and her connection to, uh, to, to Seder practice and, and all that. Um, I, I imagine that Freya is a very powerful being when it comes to your hedge witchery. Yes. Yes, she is. Freya is uh, relatively new. She's only been in the picture for probably about six months. And interestingly enough, I, I kind of went through this period where I noticed a lot of other practitioners were kind of going through this. It was probably about um, August, September of last year, where a lot of people were feeling like a distance from their deities. And even I felt it too, but it was one of those things of, I'm like, okay, are we getting into a transition period where some of you are saying, I'm stepping away, you no longer need me, which really was depressing as all hell. Like, I did not want that. I'm like, I love all of you, please don't go. And all of them were like, no, 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 we're not leaving, but there's going to be some new ones added. And I'm like, what? I don't know if I have the capacity for new ones. Like you four, and this was uh, Loki, Thor, Hecate, and the Morgan. And they were very much a lot to deal with. And then Hela entered the picture and uh, Freya entered the picture as well. And I'm like, um, okay. I, I, do I have the mental capacity and the spiritual capacity to deal with all of you? And, and the like, time for fine. all the offerings, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> I mean, how many offerings? How many? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when it came to working with Freya, I, I had originally approached Odin because I said, you know, I want to learn Seder. And as I was learning about Seder, because I didn't know much about it at the time, um, I was still relatively new to learning about it. And Odin's like, I like you. I will work with you on occasion, but I am not going to be a patron. We don't have that kind of relationship. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. Who can I work with that would want maybe to step in and help teach this to me and help guide me? And Freya's like, I'll take the job. I'm here. <laughs> this is my my realm. Odin does this, but this is actually my realm. And I'm like, oh, okay. And the weird thing was like, I didn't have I don't want to call it an aversion to working with Freya, but like she had never, it was kind of like working with Thor. Freya didn't fit into who I was. And then Freya kind of was like, no, I do fit. The mythology isn't a hundred percent correct with what you see. Like, because everyone takes Freya to be this God of beauty and lust and wisdom and all this but they never really take into the account that she's also somebody that collects the dead from the battlefield to take to her realm she's also somebody that practices satyr which is can be very very much on the chaotic and darker sides and so it's something that they don't really attribute to her well and so that was something that she's like the mythology isn't exactly correct humans picked what they wanted and they struck me as the pretty one well i I see at least clues to that darker nature even within 
her choice of animals pulling her chariot right i mean she has two cats mm-hmm. she and two cats. you know yeah. cats are pretty and they clean themselves and all that so i could see them as symbols of beauty but they also see in the night right they also see in mm-hmm. the dark and they are sometimes you know predatory they will go after mice and such so you know absolutely collecting the dead uh having that psychopomp role of leading souls over to the other side mm-hmm. and then also absolutely the satyr right so yeah please yeah. tell me more <laughs> The interesting thing was I have this little like cat. It's basically a black cat um, candle dish that uh, it was one of the little like um, Halloween accoutrement that you pick up at like Michael's and stuff like that. And so I've had it on my altar forever, but I never had a reason to have it on my altar. It was just that kind of place where I just stuffed like my random quartz and stuff like that. It just, it kind of became like a catch-all for a while. And it's been on my altar for God forever. And I'm like, I don't understand why this is here. And when I redid my altar after the deities came in and Freya's like, that's because that's mine. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Can you, can you say that again, please? And she's like, yeah, that's mine. You've been holding a place for me all these years. You just didn't realize it. And I'm like, oh, shnikes. Okay um that works so this is yours and she has her own thing and it has a little tea light that sits in it for her her offerings and all that now and it's no longer a catch-all because it's apparently hers and it's been hers all these years uh and that was the one thing that she claimed on my altar that was her space and it's always been there so it was very interesting to have that kind of reaction with her when I was like well I don't know if this needs to be on the altar and I'm trying to make space for everybody because I only have so much shelf space and at that point I was like okay you know what do you want? And Hell's like, I just want this skull sitting on your altar. I don't need a candle. I don't need this. This skull will represent me. And it's just a Halloween prop skull. It's nothing spectacular. And Freya's like, the cat's always been mine. It's always been on your altar for me. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm sorry that I just stuffed random witchy junk in it all these years. (laughs) And she has been a very interesting deity to work with because as you said that yeah she does have that um beauty side to her but she for me has shown that there's so much beauty within the magical practices themselves and I think that there's a lot that's missed with Freya that we don't really take into account with her that you know like you're saying that yeah the cats that lead her chariot yeah, they're pretty and they get, you know, pristine and all that. But yes, they see in the dark. Yes, they are predatory. Yes, they are all these aspects. And those are the aspects that I think are not highlighted in Freya enough that we don't recognize in her enough. Kind of like going back to Loki very briefly. Um, Loki is seen as this devil and this dark creature when he also is the brightness and the fun and reminding us to smile and not be so sincere and enjoy life as well as, you know, make sure if you mess up, you clean up, you know, just don't kill anybody in the process like he did. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, really a lot has been lost, right? I mean, we we have only such a small percentage of what actually existed in terms of the lore, in terms of the understanding of these beings. Um, And 
yeah, I, it, everything has been very much kind of an oversimplification I've found. And it's, it's a wonderful thing through practice to, you know, through actual hands-on practice to rediscover these personalities. And especially, you know, when you and I are talking here, right. And the experiences that I've had very much line up with what you're having. So it's like, you know, we're, we're rediscovering these personalities that aren't even that accurately reflected within the mainstream cultural understandings of, of these particular mythologies. So that's, I've always found that so fascinating. Absolutely. Um, so if you have time, because um, I know that this is probably going to be another big rabbit hole uh, jumping into, uh, would you mind if we talk about your your property and the spiritual, yes. uh, uh, I imagine this could take another half hour at least. Do you have that available? <laughs> yes, I've got plenty of time available. So no worries about that. Oh, and fantastic. yes, we can jump into all of the paranormal spooky aspects of my property <laughs> awesome awesome yes yes it's the um you, you gave me some of the highlights and i am very excited to jump into that so uh can you tell us like what what kind of property do you have first off can you set the scene for us yes so i live in the middle of city in the middle of the city but we say that we live in the middle of the nowhere in the middle of the city <laughs> because we are surrounded by woods and we live on a road that there's only three houses which are also surrounded by woods so we're very secluded despite the fact that we're literally in the middle of a city and we live on a um, almost 16 acre farm and our farm is kind of like has kind of become a almost a wildlife refuge mixed with a spiritual refuge because over the years that I have lived here, which is going on, gosh, almost 15, 16 years now, and it all these subdivisions have popped up around the area and land that was once farmland or tobacco fields has started to no longer be that. And it's starting to kind of fade away. So all the animals that live there, they didn't have anywhere else to go except here. <laughs> which is fine. I mean, I'm not complaining. We have a beautiful plethora of foxes and tons of predatory birds, including a very large murder of crows and a very large uh, group of turkeys, tons of deer, uh, even one little porcupine. I have no idea where the porcupine came from because I didn't realize they were this far into the city. So, okay. And <laughs> so many other amazing animals that I love to communicate with on as often as I can. I, I talk to my crows every time I go outside and uh, say hi to the uh, foxes and the hawks. And we have some bobcats as well. So and as far as the natural world, we have become the refuge for all of them because they've been pushed out because of landscaping. And as far as spiritual practices go, I think it's kind of a similar practice. Now, our farm was once plantation land way back when. And so there has been many spirits that have been forced to be here um, against their will almost. And they've kind of gotten to the point where they not necessarily were stuck, but they didn't really feel like they had anywhere else to go. And so we have given them a place to be. And there's also been some other spirits that have come through and they range from fae 
to uh, almost draconic spirits, even some darker spirits that some would call demons, but I don't call them that because I, I don't have a proper name for them, but I know they're darker in nature. Um, but they're, they're allowed to be here because everything's allowed to be in balance. And we even get visits from the famed Bell Witch of Tennessee, Kate. So, and we call her Kate because that's what she likes to be called. So I don't know if that's actually her name, but that's what she likes to be called. So that is absolutely fascinating because I was going to comment that, you know, as all that wildlife gets pushed to your area, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, as you're putting up these uh, developments and such, you're going to be pushing some of the spiritual energies to some of the more pristine areas as well. And, you know, I've always found that we live in the midst of a spiritual ecosystem, right? And mm -hmm. so it, it is very much, you know, the invisible realms around us. It's very much like stepping into a forest. You're going to have beings of all types, whether it's, you know, benevolent or neutral, like deers and squirrels and mushrooms and, and bacteria and all this. And then things that are predatory, like uh, insects, or as it, like uh, mosquitoes or mm -hmm. uh, leeches and all that type of thing. And, and so I, I love the fact that you have this, <laughs> you're allowing for this ecosystem to exist on your property. That is uh, absolutely stellar. Um, so first off, I definitely want to ask uh, the Fae that you have on that property. How, how do they come in through? What are they like in your, in your area? Because I find it's always interesting because they, they kind of seem to vary from area to area. I've always found it's always uh, some variations in their personality. So interestingly enough, we have a mixture of what I would call like the trickster unseely fae, and then we also have the seely fae, so the, the good fae. Um, we have several different types of house fae and garden fae. Um, interestingly enough, during one of the seance Saturdays that we do with our community for Chaos and Shadow, we actually reached out to the lawn spirits or our, you know, our garden spirits. And for my area, I got some of the good garden fae that helped take care of my garden. And that's who came through for me. And it was very interesting to kind of communicate with some of them. And there have been other times where we have done a seance Saturday and we got some trickster energy because we were communicating with the spirits from my farm. And I go outside to kind of, you know, ground out and cleanse out because, you know, you don't want to absorb all that energy. And I hear this maniacal laugh coming from my woods and there's nobody in the woods. And so I'm like, uh, I look at my husband and the weirdest part about that, that same night, I'm like, okay, that was enough, you know, trickster energy. Thank you. Whatever you are in the woods, but I'm out. I'm not going to be a part of that. Thank you. <laughs> Cause it genuinely freaked me out after having so much trickster energy in our seance. And we call them seances. They're not traditionally seances. They're spirit communication, but they're not traditional seances. Um, and they're done in a virtual space. So that's very interesting as well. But after I heard this laugh coming from the woods after that, I was like, nope, I'm done. And my husband's like, uh, um, I don't know what that was, but I know it was Faye. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. And so I'm like, I'm going to go take a shower and cleanse off this energy and my husband was in the bathroom and we were talking about the seance and everything that had gone on. And I totally thought that he was reaching up to like grab this bug that was on the shower curtain. Cause I looked up and saw this giant, like locust looking like bug on my shower curtain. And my shower curtain is dark blue, by the way. So I can't actually see through it, but I can see shadows through it. And so I saw this and I'm like, 
um, there's a giant bug. And I saw this hand reaching for it. And I thought that it was my husband going to grab it. And then I turn around to finish cleaning off thinking he's going to grab the bug and the bug is still there. But I'm like, why didn't you grab the bug? And he's like, what bug? And I'm like, what? What are you talking? What the bug that's on the shower curtain? He goes, what bug? And I look up and the bug has moved further down the shower curtain, like towards the floor. And I'm like, the bug that is right there on the shower curtain by the wall. Hello, can you not see this? And he goes, oh, I see the bug. And I'm like, you're telling me you didn't go for this bug. And he goes, no, what are you talking about? And I explained the whole hand scenario to him. And he's like, babe, I swear to God, I never moved. I've been leaning against this door frame the whole time. I have not moved. And I'm like, then whose hand was that? <laughs> and I, to this day, we have no idea who it was. I don't know if there was a spirit that was pointing to the bug to be like, don't freak out and slip and fall in the chair. You will break your neck. Don't freak out. There's a bug there. Okay. I don't know if that's what the spirit was doing or if it was like, um, hi, there's a bug there. I'm just pointing this out because I want you to be freaked out. I have no idea which energy it was. I didn't feel a spirit presence in that room at all. I sincerely thought it was my husband, but it was like one of the most terrifying experiences I've had in my bathroom to date. <laughs> oh, wow. That is, that is fantastic. And um, so you felt like you were connecting then with kind of tricksterish Faye. Mm -hmm. I'm curious during this, this seance, um, online sands that you were having, what kind of messages were you getting from these beings before, you know, hearing the laughter and, and seeing this bug and all that? So interestingly enough, so my um, partner, Kyle, he was the one that was on, uh, he was doing the Estes method. And that's where you're blindfolded and you're on the spirit box. And he was doing that. And he, we were communicating. We were just getting like that. We got a couple of cuss words. We've got um, like, go away. We got demon, uh, I think we got blood of Christ at one point in time, which was totally random. And then the part that made me totally freak out was we heard that laugh. So we heard the laugh come through Kyle on the spirit box. And it was the same laugh that I heard come out of my woods. And that's what really kind of weirded me out because I'm like, Kyle laughed like this in the middle of the seance. What the hell? And so that was the part that made me realize whatever we connected to that was in the woods was definitely trickster-like. I don't think that it meant harm. I think it was just being a butt and not being very nice. But I don't think that it meant harm because I kind of have this unwritten rule, but it is a generalized practiced rule that you are allowed to live on my farm spiritually, physically, but you cannot bring harm to the other beings here or us. I will find you and I will kick you off the property. I don't care what it takes. I will kick you off. You will not be allowed to come back. And so everything that lives here, and I do have a plethora of good and bad or good and dark, whichever you'd like to call it, that live here because this is a safe space for them. And I don't know if you want to call it astrally or spiritually, whichever you want to call it, this is a safe space for them to be as long as they're not harming each other or us. They can go about their business. They just get to call this place home. And that's fine with me. I don't have any issues with that. Very interesting. And so 
Yeah, I always like to kind of point out things like spiritual protection and all that. And so mm-hmm. is that is that your main means of, of staying safe? Basically, the not so veiled threat that if you mess with us, I will send you far, far away. <laughs> and so don't mess with us and also everybody get along. Yeah, well, that's not my main form of protection. So I okay. have... Um, my home is heavily warded between runes and uh, spiritual magical energy. Uh, I also do some cleansings and stuff like that. I have a warding of black salt and stuff like that around the home. Uh, I also plant warding plants and have uh, bell bottles that are buried at the four corners of my property. So my home is heavily warded, but that's mainly because I have kids. If I didn't have kids, I'd probably let things come and go as they please because well, most things come and go. I'd probably have lots less warding, but I would still have some warding. Um, but yeah, I do keep everything pretty heavily warded because I do have, you know, small kids and I don't want my kids to, you know, wake up to a demon staring at them in the middle of sleep. And I call it a demon because of course I don't say that it is a hundred percent like the Judeo-Christian demons because of the fact that we don't actually have proper terminology to what everything is because not everything comes through clearly. So what one person calls a demon might be a shadow person or a goblin or a fae or a variation of Bigfoot. Like truth be told, we don't really know what it is spiritually because our human psyche makes it to where we see everything differently. And so not everything is going to come through clearly. And we also have different thresholds of fear. So what might be something that's terrifying to one of us is not going to be terrifying to somebody else. And it might be a cute fluffy bunny to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think it's one of these things where we're still learning too. you know, I mean, 1500 years ago, 2000 years ago, you know, someone practicing cedar or someone who uh, was a, you know, a traditional practitioner of these types Mm -hmm. of traditions might have absolutely known because they had a cultural context to and and, and oral tradition to understand these mm-hmm. things. We're, we're still redeveloping this a lot. Yes. Like we're still rediscovering through actual practice, right? And so I think that's that's very important to to see that there's certain that we might not know exactly, but at the same time we can eventually figure it out. And we're we're getting there. <laughs> I think we're getting there. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I definitely want to jump into the bell witch and and how that's come through for you. Um, So, yeah. So you're in Tennessee and Mm -hmm. how far away from, are you from where the bell witch legend emerged? 20 miles. 20 miles. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not like it's like. The system runs underneath my property. Oh, okay. I just got chills. Um, (laughs) So for those who don't know, could you uh, perhaps fill them in on what the bell witch legend is okay um so i'm gonna give you the quick and dirty version because otherwise we could take a whole hour talking about um the bell witch the bell witch is a spirit who haunted the bell farm of john bell back oh gosh i want to say like late 1700s early 1800s um maybe even mid 1800s dates escape me because in my opinion that it all just runs together after a while but john bell owned this plantation farm and he and his family started having spiritual activity 
happening in their home. They would hear voices and chains and knocks. And his daughter was the one who got the brunt of the attacks. And so they kind of attributed it to a woman who lived down the road that they think cursed John Bell, whose name was Kate. Uh, now, as far as I know from my interactions with the Bell Witch, she likes to be called Kate, but she never actually was the woman Kate. And as far as her name, uh, everything that I've ever gotten from her is she says, my name is too old for you to pronounce. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. And so I have kind of gathered from her that she's much older than the legend gives her credit for. And as far as why she harassed the Bell family, no one really knows why. There's lots of speculation. There's lots of things that have happened. And they do believe that Kate still lingers about. And pretty much anybody that lives in Ab Adams, if you ask them about the Bell Witch, they'll be like, Shh, don't make her angry. Don't talk about her because <laughs> they don't want her to come and plague them. But as far as my interactions go with Kate, Kate has come by the property and she calls us her tenants. And the interesting thing about this is Kate thinks that she owns pretty much anywhere the cave systems touch. And I don't know why, but she does. That's what she thinks. When you mentioned that she, there's this, this communication that she says that her name is far older than you can pronounce, that's very interesting. I mean, that makes me think that it's basically a spirit of the land, like a, a mm -hmm. being who lives in that area has been there for a very long time, even primordial, you know, yes. and that is very, very curious. I mean, that, that puts a new spin on the legend that I mm -hmm. had not thought of before something in that cave system. How, how extensive is that cave system? Uh, the cave system is very extensive. So Tennessee is primarily limestone and consists of dozens upon dozens of limestone caves, and they all connect in some fashion. And the interesting thing about limestone is limestone is almost like a spiritual conductor, uh, similar to granite. And so the spirit, in my opinion, is what happens with Kate is I think that she is capable of moving through those, the spiritual energy of the limestone to wherever she wants. So anything that touches basically the mammoth cave system, which is what those caves are part of, uh, could, she could go anywhere if she wants to. So her being part of the, as you say, a spirit of the land, I think that probably the closest terminology that I have, you know, kind of divulged from communicating with her is maybe demigod. Maybe mm -hmm. that's the closest thing that in our, you know, terminologies of what she might be. But as far as any box that she fits in, she doesn't fit in any of them. And so I don't know what Kate is. I know she is a spirit of some kind. Um, she does have apparently the capability of murdering a human being because that's what the legend states that she did. Through poisoning, right? Yeah. Through poisoning. Yeah. And so interestingly enough, I don't know what she is or how she had the ability to do that. But if she's a spirit of the land, there's hundreds of things within the land that are poisonous so if he maybe came in contact with something even airborne he could have gotten it that way and they said oh it could have been that vial of poison sitting on the thing i don't know if that's the thing that's just how the legend has progressed it could have been anything that she did um 
from every interaction that I've ever asked her about as to why she did it, uh, she just said he was a bad guy and wouldn't elaborate. And I'm like, okay, I you scare me a little bit, like because she has tons of energy that also exudes off of her, very similar to like what we were saying about um Hecate. And she will come across as very dark mm-hmm. and very powerful. And I, she's probably one of the most dark and powerful beings I've ever come across. And so when Kate basically comes into my house, I'm like, can I fix you a cup of tea? What do you need? <laughs> How can I help? So you can leave as quickly as possible. Uh, but, you know, in the beginning, she definitely scared me. Now, um, because we are the, she considers us to be almost protectors of her land because we allow the spiritual beings to come and go as they um, freely please. And we allow dark entities as much as positive entities being here. The same with uh, protecting the land. She doesn't really consider us tenants. Now we're the protectors and the guardians of this place. And so I love the fact that we have a much deeper understanding with her than we did in the beginning. But yeah, in the beginning, she was terrifying. I would love to know the the spiritual history of that area. Unfortunately, it's something that's probably lost in time. But, you know, before the settlers got there, right, when the... um, when the original tenants were there <laughs> the thousands of years ago, right? Um, what what was going on in that area? And uh, it sounds like a, a being that uh, that the 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 native peoples of that area could have easily been working with, um, and that you know hasn't had someone working with them directly for a long time. You know, the interesting aspect of that is there's a lot of native. <sighs> I don't want to say spirits. I don't really want to say beings or I don't want to say, you know, ghosts that are here, but there is native energy that's here. And that's the best way that I can say that without really being, you know, stepping into cultural appropriation because I am not native. But from what I understand, because my husband is native, my sister-in-law is native, um, they are the ones that step in and they're the ones that say, yes, there are energies here that do attribute to the peoples that lived here and there's been blood of that that has been shed here we can't tell you what happened because we don't know it's been lost to history and erased out on purpose essentially and so that kind of thing makes it very much like what you were saying that they probably did work with whatever this being was and maybe this being was brought to life by them in order to protect the land And maybe that has something to do with it. You know, even the legend of John Bell states that they found a Native American burial ground and a skull and that tooth fell out between the floorboards in the original house. And that's what started the whole kerfluffle with Kate. And so I don't know, maybe that, maybe she is a Native American um, spirit or guardian, maybe like, again, we don't, they, the term God was not something that they, the natives used. So calling them a goddess or even really a deity is inappropriately wrong. Um, So, you know, a spirit is probably much more accurate, but yeah, I, I think whatever Kate is, she is powerful. She is scary as all hell. Do not piss her off. And she is one of the beings that if she comes in to work with you or talk to you or want something from you, see if you can help her because 
she will sincerely bless you in the end. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, the property was originally divided up between um, my husband and his two sisters. And one of the sisters sold her piece to some unsavory humans. We'll just say that. And these people tore up that part of the land. They cut down trees that were unnecessarily needing to be cut. They had no reason to cut down these trees. And Kate would scream. I mean, you could just hear this banshee wail coming from her. And she would come into the house and I, you would feel this rush of energy when she'd come in. And it's like being hit by a Mack truck almost. And I'm just like, Kate, I can't do anything. We don't own the property. And she's like, fine, I'll do it myself. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't murder people. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> the weird thing was we had in one of our Tennessee rainstorms. And when I say a Tennessee rainstorm, that means a little bit of thunder, maybe a little bit of lightning and like a torrential downpour. That's about it no tornadoes and the winds that night were about 10 miles an hour they were not bad at all a 300 year old oak fell and missed their trailer that was back there by one foot we have no explanations to how this tree felt this was a healthy tree by the way this was not a dead tree this was a healthy tree we have no idea how it fell this really sounds like um you know i, I always hate to put labels on things right mm -hmm. as you were saying things like gods and demigods i mean it can be difficult but um one thing that i know when it comes to this kind of thing is it's consciousness right so it's consciousness yes. in some form and what really sounds like a, a parallel let's say is uh it used to be called a genius loci and mm -hmm. the the romans yeah the, the romans took that very seriously right the spirit of the land right the spirit of place and it was very much a protector spirit, right? I mean, uh, mm -hmm. if you, you're in a Roman household, you would have an altar to the local genius loci to keep you safe, to make sure that your house doesn't get hit by lightning, this kind of thing, or mm -hmm. falling trees. And, you know, it almost sounds like a very big genius loci, perhaps strengthened by the um, by the cave system underneath the property and, and through the area. I don't know. That, that is quite something that's quite something you know i gotta ask um before we head off uh since you're basically on the mammoth cave system and very close to kentucky uh -huh. have you encountered the the television show uh, hellier i have interviewed greg and dana okay <laughs> <laughs> i i'm a museum member i love greg and dana i love all things hellier hellier was actually what got uh kyle and i started doing chaos and shadow um we both watched it he actually watched it first and then he was like Peggy, you need to go watch this and i'm like okay and episode one i was hooked it was nothing like anything i had ever seen it completely made me look at the world of the paranormal 100 differently and working with the people that are part of the museum and have ex basically expanded the knowledge base of the paranormal and the occult have made it so that way we are not looking at a world where we are the people who scream at ghosts anymore mm. and demand us to talk to them. Uh, now we are a much more 
caring and compassionate and willing to communicate with whatever's out there without really giving it a major label because uh, truth be told, we don't know what we're communicating with on the other side. And so whatever it is, if you go come in at it with honesty and goodness, you're more likely to receive that. Yeah, you might come across something that's a little dark and a little frightening, but at the end of the day, it's okay because you're going to learn from that if it's willing to communicate with you. Absolutely. You know, they, they have, the new Kirks have an amazing uh, relationship to the paranormal. I absolutely oh, love, yes. I love what they do. And, you know, it's actually funny that we're talking about this because I, I have my own connections with the hellier mystery in that I all had my own uh, synchronicities that were very much generated <laughs> by that. In fact, uh, something curious that happened is I, I ordered the secret cipher of the UFO knots mm-hmm. um, a while back. And basically I had been into Greenfield for a while and uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go on Amazon and order a bunch of his works. And I was like, Ooh, okay. They've re-released the secret cipher. And I ordered it. And then I'm on this Discord community a number of years back now, uh, when Hellier first came out. And it was, we were a bunch of ceremonial magicians on there. And uh, we're, we're talking about, what were we talking about? We're talking about a source of lead because a guy was uh, going to make a talisman for, uh, for Jupiter. Sorry, mm-hmm. tin, tin. And uh, yeah, tin, of course. And uh, one guy piped up and said, Oh, tin, uh, you know, I just had the synchronicity because I was just watching this thing where a tin can was a big part of it. <laughs> and, and I'm like, Oh, what was that? He's like, Oh, it's this show called Hellier. I was like, okay, well, I'll have to check it out. And I had not seen Hellier yet. And so I, I check out Hellier and first off, it t- starts off talking about all the synchronicities and what is a synchronicity and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it gets into um, basically you know, within the first 10 minutes, it's talking about how they broke this code with using the secret cipher of the UFO knots. And my jaw drops because I'm like, I just ordered this book 24 hours ago. <laughs> so and it's not a common book, especially no. at that time, like before <laughs> Hellier, nobody. And, and I had a number of other synchronicities that basically uh, thrust me through. And uh, uh, like last year, I was actually hosting uh, Clubhouse talks with uh, Olaf, who is the uh, uh, the the publisher of the Secret Cipher of the UFO Knots, because I randomly came across him and basically like got talking with him, and we we're like, hey, let's do some stuff together. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's absolutely amazing how when you start looking at that Hellier mystery, things start happening and coming together. And I'm still at a point where I'm like, I need to look more into that because there's such interesting synchronicities being generated and it's just some interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. Wild. It's so, so wild. And it's funny when we sat down to interview Greg and Dana, I was like, you know, it's funny how this whole thing started with the, the Hopkinsville ghost. And I said, I literally live in Clarksville, right next to Hopkinsville. How, how far? Uh, I think that we are seven miles from Hopkinsville, oh. I think. And so. I had never heard the legend. And that, like, I'm watching Hillier and I'm telling my husband about it. And I'm like, there's this creepy goblin, the alien story that's in Hopkinsville. Why didn't you tell me about this? And he goes, because it's a really old story. And I'm like, it's not it hell you're here watch it and he watched it and he was like maybe it's not that old after all <laughs> and it's so wild how it really worked out and when I told Greg this he his jaw just hit the floor and he was like 
really like wow that's synchronistic and I'm like I know right and so there's so much cool stuff that has happened and with you know talking with uh Greg and Dana and talking with Carl and Connor as well and so many other museum members that have had crazy synchronistic things that have happened that it's just been such a wild journey to you know match that not only with um the spiritual practices because they're so intertwined that you cannot really look into the paranormal without having some sort of spiritual ties because it all overlaps in some way shape or form there is no differentiating viewpoints there's no wall between them anymore no and no i don't know if there ever was i think that we tried to force one between them for so many years and it's just so amazing that hellier has come out and changed so many people's viewpoints some for the bad like some people don't like hellier and makes me question them but that's okay uh but the people that do like hellier that have had that life-changing experience it's so amazing how many ways that it touches your life and then you go and you know like greg says the phenomenon will die down for a moment and then out of nowhere, you'll have another synchronicity that and makes you go back and rewatch Hellier and you catch something that you never caught the first time or the 20th time, however many times you've watched it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do encourage people to go out there and check out Hellier. It really is quite something and it will open people's minds to so many things. And the one thing I would tell people though, is, you know, be ready because it absolutely <laughs> is a synchronicity generator It is doing something. And it, it's a story of initiation for the new Kirks I find, and for everyone mm-hmm. going through it, but also it will set anyone who's watching it on their own path of initiation through synchronicities and such. So be ready for that. And, you know, if you're not ready for that kind of Loki style chaos energy to enter you, <laughs> uh, because that is what initiation is, right? Initiation can be scary. It can be, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're not ready for that, don't watch the show (laughs) but if you watch it until you're ready and the weird thing is when the phenomenon starts to call to you you'll you might have heard about hellier a couple of times you know through passing and be like oh yeah i'll watch it eventually but eventually you will get to this point where you will have this overwhelming urge to watch it and you will sit down and you will watch it and then the things will happen and it's so wild and crazy how many things will happen like you may end up having dreams of injured cold or you might have seance experiences where you've talked to injured cold that's a whole nother episode that we could talk about but yeah (laughs) so it's something that whatever the phenomenon is and whatever path it takes you down to where you look at balloons differently and 10 cans differently and even the god pan differently you're going to see so many amazing things and it's going to change your life ultimately for the better uh, and actually, I didn't mention it, but I uh, I had my own um, <laughs> balloon synchronicity in regards <laughs> to Hellier because I um when I first uh, you know I um, don't know if you're aware of the the Clubhouse app basically where you can mm-hmm. have these live conversations and stuff yeah so uh, I used to to host some rooms and some talks with uh, uh, with the the actual publisher of of uh, not Greenfield but his publisher and uh, of the secret uh, cipher of the UFO knots. And um, when, when I started that up, within like a week of having that happen, uh, I'm driving around the uh, around town, and I drive up to an intersection, and there is one of those metallic mylar balloons wrapped around 
the traffic light. And in a way where it's like, no one's taking it down <laughs> because no one's going <laughs> to bother. And, and it was up there for like two months afterwards. Oh, wow. uh, no one took it down because it's like, well, we're not going to bother. It was wrapped around the back of it eventually. Uh, and, uh, and so it's like, well, we're not going <laughs> to bring a cherry picker in to, to grab it. But like that showed up within a week after starting to have these kind of conversations about Hellier and, and, uh, and Greenfield and all this. And so, yeah, it, <laughs> it happens. It absolutely happens. That is absolutely an amazing experience. I have not had a balloon synchronicity yet. I've had a 10 can one, but I have not had a balloon one. Um, and I, you know, that that's okay. Like, it's interesting because I've had the other experiences where, you know, uh, talking with like injured cold and having those kind of things come through where it's like, we would it, it, like, for instance, in the, the seance with one of the seances, we've had multiple with injured cold, um, where we were actually trying to talk to mermaids and the mermaids were the ones that were like, we know injured cold and we can give him the message for you. And it's like, wait a minute, are mermaids aliens? Like, is that what you're hinting at? Like, is that what you're saying? <laughs> like, mm. are, uh, what is the question? Like, how do we go about this? And we never really got a definitive answer, but we know we have mermaid friends wherever they may be or wherever they're from that apparently have spoken with Indrid Cold. We've had some other interesting instances where Indrid Cold like almost left us this weird kind of like memory of what it was like because apparently, you know, Indrid Cold apparently crashed, um, mm -hmm. but it was like a memory of that crash and somebody looking for them. And so I, I don't know, it, it was a weird experience. It was a weird thing that kind of came through and that like played out through the spirit box, but it was so cool the way that it happened because it's like, that doesn't seem like somebody communicating that feels like a memory of somebody else. And we don't know whose it is. So I don't know. It was a really wild experience. I love the hellier phenomenon in any way I can get it. <laughs> Well, I think I'm going to have to let you go here, but we absolutely, you're going to have to get together again to talk Definitely. about Hellier and all that because yeah, it's, it's a rabbit hole. And I think it's definitely something that bears further exploration. That's for sure. Uh, so Brittany it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, where can people find you? Um, you can find me primarily on Twitter. Like I have a, uh, Instagram account, but I barely post on it. <laughs> I don't like Instagram anymore. Uh, but Twitter I am very active on and you can find me at pagan wolf underscore 13, all lowercase. And that is the easiest place that if you want to talk to me, that's where you can get a hold of me. But if you are just looking for more ways to, you know, interact with the shows, definitely head over to your favorite podcast player and check out Pagan's Witchy Corner uh, and Chaos and Shadow. You can also go to revelatornetwork.com and find both shows and all of the links to everything right there. And that's going to be the easiest way to do that. Fantastic. And I'll put all that information down in the show notes for those who are curious and want to find out more. Uh, Brittany, this has been an absolutely amazing talk. Thank you so much for being on here. And we definitely have to have you on again. This is definitely. I would love to come back anytime.
Fantastic. All right. Well, you have a lovely day and uh, we'll talk soon. All righty.